the gospel's so much better than my arm strength, huh? Which is pretty significant. Um, t- turn in. Humility. Humility is not my strength. Wow, this is my wife, folks. Front row. Okay. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 2. We're going to finish the second chapter of um, this letter this morning. And if you have the Uversion Bible app, all of the notes will be there. If you click on events, find Reservoir Church. And we're going to look at verses 15 through 21 this morning. Um, and, and we get to what's among my favorite verses in Scripture in the mix here. And so the big idea for today is that our rescue by Jesus gives us eyes to see our sin and the power to live for something better. And we're rescued by Jesus. The grace that he pours into us actually frees us to see the things that we're doing wrong, the sin that is in our life that we cling to, and it invites us with power to live for something better. So hear the word of the Lord from Galatians 2, verses 15 through 21. And this is Paul continuing his conversation with Peter and the church. And he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So good and holy God, we thank you for your word and what a glorious declaration of the truth of your grace toward us. That Jesus, you loved us and you gave yourself for us. And that is exactly what we need for salvation and for all of life. Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning to see the truth from this text that you would use to transform our lives, that we would become passionate followers of Jesus for your glory and for our good. Have your way among us today, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So our rescue by Jesus gives us eyes to see our sin and the power to live for something better. So not only this week was I thinking about arm wrestling, but I've also been thinking a little bit about spoiled kids and not at all in relation to the young man I was arm wrestling. Um, But maybe because it's the thick of summer and uh, we have very loose schedules and there's a lot of time spent together as a family and I'm thinking about the ways in which I spoil my children, right? Or maybe there's something deeper at play in my soul that's wondering how spoiled I am. But I realize that being a parent gives you so much insight into the soul and just the reality of our spiritual person. And much of parenting, and some of you may agree, I'm 
kind of a young parent, and my oldest is only 11, so I haven't made as many mistakes as some of you. Um, yeah, right? I'm on my way, right? And so thank you for going before me in that. But much of parenting, if you actually care for your kids, right, is just keeping children from making dumb decisions over and over again with the hopes that one day they will make good decisions for themselves and for others, right? Like that's a cornerstone to like raising somebody up and parenting somebody. And when a child asks the parent, can I eat all of this ice cream? And you respond, you probably can eat all of that, but if you do, it will make you very sick, so you shouldn't eat the ice cream. You probably have the ability to do something, uh, but for your good, you shouldn't do it, right? And so that's all that life of parenting really is, is teaching kids a better way, the better things to do, that they might flourish and have health. And a a spoiled kid, though, would be given the ice cream and would never actually learn that the sickness that follows can't be cured by more ice cream. And the worst adults were, in fact, spoiled children. And it's not all about ice cream. Hopefully you see that. You can substitute your thing, whatever it is you're drawn to. Let the hearer understand. There are things that we run to that we don't realize aren't good for us. And then we keep eating, we keep consuming, and we think, well, if I just have more of that thing, then I'll be better. And we miss the mark. But still, even in the midst of that, the reality of our souls, there is hope for us to get healthy and to stay healthy. And hope for when we binge too much and have to learn again how life actually works, how it's supposed to work for those that are following after Jesus. And here, Paul is telling Peter and the gathered church that essentially what he has been doing will make him sick. That it's going to make the church sick. And earlier we saw that it actually makes him condemned, stands condemned before the Lord because he's clinging on to a non-gospel. So as we dive in this morning, we want to recognize that there is actually a remedy for our spoiling. And instead of pursuing being spoiled, cling to the hope that gets us over the mountains of life, the difficult things of life that often push us to run to other gods, to other forms of help and hope. And most of us are familiar Um, With this situation, as we've been studying in Galatians, Paul is writing to a group of churches that have essentially been negatively influenced by some false teachers that have come in and declared that you actually have to submit to the moral law of Judaism if you want to be a, a Christian. And so they're effectively removing half the church at this point, right? Because there's a a number of Gentile believers, people that were not Jews, that don't have any history with the Mosaic law of what it means to keep Sabbath, to um, eat kosher or be circumcised in their walk with Jesus. And there's been confusion and there's this deep rift that is happening within the church. And Paul calls it out for what it is. He says it's a tainted non-gospel. It is apart from Christ. And in doing that, he recounts for us how the temptation is real for us to essentially reject the work of Jesus on the cross as enough for salvation. We're prone in our souls to be looking for something more than that finished work to save us. And he tells then of how Peter, the great apostle, even Peter succumbed to fear of the circumcision party and stopped eating and fellowshipping with the Gentile sinners, as they were calling 
brothers and sisters in Christ. And so who knows, as we look back on this historic letter that's central to the work of the church, who knows what the church would have looked like if Paul hadn't confronted Peter? It's, it's vitally important. And his work from drawing him back from his hypocrisy. And who knows what will become of us if we aren't in the same way, brought back from the edge when we approach it in our own lives. And so in our texts, Paul brings to the front of our minds the rescue of Jesus and then what it means for how we live, how we face what we can do and what we should do in life how we make decisions about the things we choose to be passionate and care about and invest in. And as we talk through this text this morning, I just want to ask two questions that this scripture helps us answer. And here's the first. What's so good about justification? And Paul shifts his language in unpacking the gospel here to a term that is used um, and kind of in the, the realm of uh, the legal system, because it has a legal nature, the, the phrase justification. And is this just a churchy word that we throw around every once in a while to prove to people just how reformed we are because we know what justification is? Or is it truly at the core of who we are in Christ? In Uh, Tim Keller says, justified by faith is central to the Christian faith. It is Paul's nutshell summary of the gospel. But we often assume that we and everyone else have grasped what it means and what impact it will have on our lives. And even in saying we mustn't assume we all understand it, we often forget to spell out what it is. So We want to do that this morning. And the dictionary definition of justification is the action of showing something to be right or reasonable. J.I. Packer, the great theologian, says to justify in the Bible means to declare of a man on trial that he is not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges due those who have kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation. That of acquittal and legal immunity. So that's what it means for us as we stand before God. So for the Christian to be justified is to be made acceptable for fellowship with our creator, with fellowship with God. The truth is, this isn't just a Christian concept. I I do think it's best understood and realized in Jesus. But all of humanity in our souls lives trying to achieve justification in some form or another. And maybe it's not even in the context of standing before God. But all of us subconsciously or otherwise live to find justification to be declared right we uh, strive for approval or even a sense of arrival by our own means and getting someone else to declare us good and right is what we long for and if we can't find other people to do it we take on that rel- uh, that role ourselves against all others and then we live self-justifying and saying our choices are okay our thinking is good and our godlike status is what we are meant for It's dangerous, and it's so dangerous on 
the cosmic scale. And, and generally we know this. This is why we gather on Sundays to turn to Jesus. To, the truth that there is a God who is unique and beyond us. We can't always fully comprehend him who brought all of life and established a standard of living before him. And the truth of humanity's inborn inability to live the standard according to the plan then precedes the glorious news of the incarnation that this creator would take on flesh and live among us and then keep the standard with perfection dying an innocent death to cover our guilt like the guilt of humans that could never achieve and he does it to justify us so that we can stand before God. Like this is the glorious news of the gospel. This is who we are in Christ. And we as Christians believe this to be true. So where we are justified is vitally important. Because you're not justified by what you've done or what you've achieved. You are justified by what Jesus has done and what he's accomplished on the cross for you. Being approved by God is the only Thing, friends, that will match the longing of our souls for justification. And oh, how I pray that we have eyes to see this as we live our lives. One writer says the opposite of justified is condemned. Justification means that in Christ, though we are actually sinners, we are not under condemnation. God accepts us despite our sin. We are not acceptable to God because we are actually becoming righteous. We become actually righteous because we are acceptable to God. And something that is exclusively found in Jesus is this justification. Every other path turns in on itself and brings death and ruin. And that's what Paul is warning of here. Jesus said to his disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way of justification before the creator of the universe. And it is a way that is open to the worst of us. Those that have no hope, that have tried all the other ways of justification and failed. And learn that those all come up short. We see the glorious truth in Romans 5. Paul writing to another church says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's good to remind ourselves of who we are in ourselves apart from Christ. And especially good for those of us who in a sense have essentially been Christians by birth. It's good for us to not lose sight of the fact that we are by nature children of wrath, not children of God. We need something to happen for us to bring us in. And that is the but God moment. And the, the problem in Paul's day was that those gaining justification in Christ were then neglecting it and fearing man, turning to works righteousness. This idea that I can find justification if I'm just good enough, if I do the right things, I'll be in a different class of Christians, a better class of Christians. And the problem in our day isn't all that far off. In a culture of self-justification that is rampant among those who don't know God, that reality actually seeps into the church. And we don't think that the cross is enough to give us a place before God or that the cross is even important to have a place before God. 
And it leads to condemnation. It puts us further away what we were from what we were made for, what we exist for, relationship with our Creator. Paul says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is a piercing truth that gets at the false gospel that is being proclaimed in the Galatian churches. It gets at the hypocrisy of Peter and the Judaizers that no, you cannot be justified by works of the law. It is only in Christ. And I feel like in this moment, Paul is acting as a parent. And, and to be truthful, like being a pastor, being an elder of a church, I just feel like parenting extends into the pulpit as well. And it's that, that honest conversation that you can have with your children or those that you are spiritually parenting and say, friends, I have tried all of the other ways. I've tried going after what felt right at the time. I have attempted to live my truth against every other truth that could be out there, to go after what I thought I deserved. And it all led to wreckage, just to more desperation, to more discontent, and more proof that none of those things could justify. None of those things could satisfy my soul. The truth is that Jesus looks at us at our worst when we're running after all those other things. And he says, mine. We are declared righteous in him while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And this, friends, is what all of the hype is about. This is what Christianity is about. This is what we gather for. This is the historic church proclaiming the grace of Jesus, justification through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul will say to another church in Corinth, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. This is our story. What good news this is, right? Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. This is what we tell folks. This is what we live for. This is what gets us up in the morning and certainly should. And so it is gloriously good. Justification. That's the answer to the first question. What's so good about justification? It's glorious. It's the only way. And it's free in Jesus. And then that second question flows from that. How do we live now? That's really what's at play here with Peter and the Judaizers, because they've come in and said, okay, you've come to Jesus, but really to follow Messiah, you need to do this thing different. We can do that all kinds of different, there's all kinds of brands of Christianity, and and some of us have had conversations like, why can't we just have one big church instead of four churches in a janky strip mall? It's like, well, because we, some of us approach things differently, and some things that we would say would be dangerous, you don't want to approach, and so... 
That, that's just the reality of humanity. We've created all these different structures. We've zoomed in on specific things. And I long for the day where there is only one church. And it's coming and it's centered around the truth of the gospel, this justification in Christ. But then how do we live when we've come to Christ? And Paul's plea is that we don't fall back into the old patterns of self-justification. At least he says we aren't supposed to. One writer uh, kind of translating himself, verses 17 and 18 says that if someone who knows they are justified by faith sins, it is because justification by faith in Christ promotes sin. Not at all. But if someone who professes faith in Christ keeps on with the same sinful lifestyle, rebuilding the sinfulness that Christ died to destroy the penalty for, making no effort to change, then it proves that this person never really grasped the gospel, but was just looking for an excuse to live in disobedience to God. That's what Paul's worried about for the church, that they wouldn't fall into this uh, reality of denying justification in Christ. And I, I think that we can end up denying justification essentially in two ways. I can reject it by trying to perform, remaining convinced that God relates to me on the basis of my ability to keep up appearances or to meet a standard that we actually end up setting for ourselves rather than on the basis of Christ's work for us. And friends, it happens even when we're familiar with the theological truth of it. Hypocrisy runs deep and we forget it. That's why we have to remind each other and ourselves of the, the truth of the gospel. That justification is in Christ alone because our hearts are so prone to run after justification in other things. Things of idolatry. And so I can try to perform and I reject justification. Or the second way I think we can deny it is that I see the task of following Jesus as impossible. It's just too much in the way of my preference or little God status that gets in the way of how I want to live. So I just end up rejecting it. So I just go with the flow of the cultural stream back into condemnation as if it doesn't matter. And I just throw up my hands and say, like, well, what the heck? Right? I'm just going to do the things that my flesh or heart thinks that it wants to do. Who cares what happens? It denies justification. Leads to condemnation. And both, both of those ways, like trying to achieve and then like rejecting any striving whatsoever, are just rebuilding what was torn down, denying and rejecting the justification that is only found in Christ. And Paul says, you can't do that. That is not the way. And instead, justification in Christ actually frees us then to live this crucified life. That's what he puts out there in this text, to face the hardest things in life, essentially just as mountains to climb by the grace of God. I don't want to sugarcoat your life. Like The Lord may bless you in a way you may end up with material wealth and goodness. You may have easy relationships. You might have wonderful children that just do everything you command them to do. But you might not. Life is hard. There is a lot of difficulty. There are many mountains to climb. Mountains we never wanted to climb. 
But the Lord puts in our way because he knows they will teach us to rely on him and his strength. And our mountains are all different. I don't know what your mountain is. It's probably different than my mountain or Stacy's mountain. It might be the exact same. And then we're climbing together, friends, right? But clinging to our justification, rest, resisting the lure of self-justification and the approval of man, fighting sins in our life, none of that is easy. Living for others, loving your enemy, that is not easy. But we are not just left to it all on our own strength or willpower. That's what we have to keep in mind. Because right here, Paul has told us what our ammo for this type of life is. This is maybe the most important verse in the whole of Galatians. I'm sorry I didn't leave it for those guys that are preaching the next three weeks. I'm, I'm doing it. And it's verse 20. Paul declares, and we can with Paul declare the same truth. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our sinfulness, our skewed views of identity, our attempts at justification apart from Jesus, all of the gunk of our souls and our lives... It all died on the cross with Jesus. That's what is declared here. That's the truth of the gospel. Christ and his righteousness now in those things place live in us, shaping us, empowering us, making us like him. And that's, that's the goal. That's what he said it's all about. That's where we're headed. And our acceptance then gives us, our acceptance before God, gives us a new and stronger motive for obeying God than justification by works ever could. And this, and it, you need to know that the gospel is not providing just some generic, accessible acceptance. And I... I you're going to say, oh, John, I think you're just being a good Calvinist again. No, I'm just reading scripture. The cross was not something for you. They're done for you if only you would come to it. Because Paul makes clear here that the cross of Christ was personal in nature. So you guys, if you are in Christ, if you believe in him, if you have found justification in real life in him, it is because he loved you and died for you personally. What a gloriously good truth this is. Because I can tell you, there are so many times in my life that that truth has kept me. Because yeah, if it's generic, if Schrader, if you just come to this and you're going to get saved, well, I don't have the ability to come to that. I need someone to love me and to die for me, knowing who I was, how I was made up, the temptations that I faced. And Jesus did. You, you could think about it this way, right? That was an amen from the phone since y'all aren't amen. And come on. <laughs> Think of it this way. A boat is sinking, right? And everybody gets off safe. Like the, Everybody's off the boat. Yet I come to you and I say, well, let me show you how much I love you. And I jump on that sinking boat just to die going down with it. And explosion or not, however cool my demise is, you will think, what a tragic waste of a life. Right? But if that boat, boat is sinking and your kids are on it, and I say to you, let me show you how much I love you, jumping on the boat, rescuing your kids, but then I end up perishing myself. You would think 
you would probably say, look at how much that man loved us. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the personal nature of the work of Christ on the cross for you. He did not take that cross hoping he would save some people. He took that cross knowing exactly who he was going to save for his glory and for your good. And I, and it, when I preach, it may sound severe, but you guys, holy smokes, that's good news. Yes. Right? You're free to preach in shorts when that's the truth. <laughs> yeah, it better be. <laughs> right? And this is us in Christ. He has rescued us by giving himself for us personally. Like, I, I just want to, that's all I want to live from. That glorious truth. That by faith we are united both to the death and the life of Christ. Free from our past sin by union with his death. And free to live from him by union with his life. And to live for him as well. The false teachers here in the Galatian churches are trying to nullify God's love. And that he has graciously provided to us in union by seeking essentially to supplement Christ's death and resurrection with some work you have to do. And Paul and the Holy Spirit says, no. You are justified by the work of Christ in your life, period. This is the juice that we need to make it up the mountain. Even when it's hard, when life is difficult, when following after Jesus takes all that we have, he gives us all that we need. One pastor says the heart of gospel-rooted living is cruciformity. Life in Christ is all about being crucified with Christ. And we shouldn't be surprised if we suffer a a little mistreatment in the service of the gospel. This is the price to be paid for gospel living. And if we're not willing to pay that price, then we're unlikely to see the gospel advance in or through our lives. But if we want to see the gospel go forward, it's going to require of us cruciformity. We will be conformed to the cross. This is how we will live in the the way of Jesus. And even when we sin, even when we slip, when our flesh gets the better of us, when our skewed thinking when the world influences us in the wrong way still the grace of Christ carries us because he died on purpose and the way we do it the way we live the way we make it to the summit of those mountains we are called to climb is by so filling ourselves with Christ that he becomes friends our defining passion one pastor says if you had access to the latest machinery in a sophisticated science lab, what would be the most effective way to get all the air out of a glass beaker? And some of us might ponder that question and think of all of the possible ways to suck the air out of that beaker and create a vacuum so no air can be in. But eventually the answer comes to us. To get all the air out of a beaker, you just fill it with water. Thomas Chalmers, a Scottish minister from the 1800s, taught of the finding the expulsive power of a new affection in our lives. The being so filled with Christ that his fullness directs our lives and joy. That there's no room for sin. There's no room for hypocrisy. 
And Chalmers says there are two ways one might think to remove this controlling affection from the heart. One is to show that the world is not worthy of our affection and let us down. It will let us down in the end. This is essentially the argument corresponding to like pumping the air out and creating a vacuum in the beaker. But the other way, he says, is to show that Jesus is vastly more worthy of our heart's attachment, thus awakening a new and stronger affection that displaces the former affection for this world. That's corresponds to pouring water into the beaker. Hence, this gives us the expulsive power of a new affection. And Chalmers says, such is the grasping tendency of the human heart that it must have something to lay hold of and which, if rested away without the substitution of another something in its place, would leave a void and vacancy as painful to the mind as hunger is to our natural system. You want to get rid of the sin in your life? You want to get rid of those things that take you off the path of righteousness? Give something in its place. Jesus. So the the way to live without hypocrisy, without the fear of man, without the ravages of sin, is to find this better affection in response to Christ's work and love for us. That he would so fill us that every other love would flow out from him. Inform how we relate to each other in our relationships, in our marriages, in our, our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. That we would be so full of Christ, there would be room for nothing apart from him. This is what Paul is inviting Peter back into. This is what he longs for the churches in Galatia that, he would, that they would find this truth. And it's what we need more than ever in our day. Every other path leads further into bondage. The way of Jesus, friends, leads to freedom, security, and eternity with him. Which way will you choose? Our rescue by Jesus gives us eyes to see our sin and the power to live for something better. As Paul writes to the Colossian church, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We're happy when we climb those mountains in Christ. Friends, God is not done rescuing the spoiled children. He's still coming after us. May the justification found in Jesus be our thing. That we could say of our lives that it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, I know that that is such the longing of my heart. And I know that is the only place in which my soul is satisfied. When I can say with Paul and with these saints, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We have so much to learn of the the day-in, day-out realities of that life, of living by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Spirit, we need your help to do that, to live that life in the paths of righteousness, of good and right for your glory. 
Lord, some of us for the first time are maybe coming to the place of realization that all those other attempts at justification of proving ourselves right, of things that we cling to, of even having the right theology over someone else, anything that we would attempt to find justification in apart from Christ, we may be learning and realizing for the first time that those things don't work. So, Jesus, we thank you for your grace in this moment that you have brought us to a place of belief and hope in justification in you alone. Lord, give us the freedom to accept that, regenerate our hearts so that we can turn to you and cling to you and nothing else. Lord, keep us there that you would be our abiding passion for all of life that your kingdom would be built. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.